The Lord has shown forth his glory. Come, let us adore him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Mother to us all. For the past 12 days, as in every Christmas season, we have reveled in a glorious mashup of Scripture. Each year, in our hymns and our storytelling, whether in creches like our own or Christmas pageants everywhere, we take the nativity stories from the Gospel of Luke and Matthew, shepherds and angels, wise men and stars, and we throw them all together for one grand beloved story of the incarnation, the birth of our Lord. This is frowned upon by biblical scholars everywhere. To be fair, the architects of our lectionary try to keep the strands separate, ensuring each year that we hear all three versions of the word becoming flesh at three different times. Christmas Eve and day feature Luke's version. No room in the inn, Mary and Joseph visited by rough shepherds who've been tipped off to the birth of the Messiah by a host of angels. The first Sunday after Christmas Day, the cosmic version of John appears. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then on the Feast of the Epiphany, the feast we celebrate today and every year on January 6th, the 13th day after Christmas Day, the beginning of a new season, on this day, we get Matthew's version, the one with wise men from faraway lands following a star, a fearful, lying Herod, the wise men kneeling down before the child with Mary offering gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and then warned by a dream, returning home by another road rather than returning to Herod to reveal the babe's location. Today, is the other Christmas story. The one that we don't tell on Christmas Day because it's foreboding. For we know what happens after the wise men leave. Herod incensed because he believes the wise men have tricked him, fearful of a rival king of the Jews, sends in the military to Bethlehem to slaughter all children under the age of two. Joseph, warned by an angel in a dream, saves his family by fleeing into Egypt, causing the holy family to live as refugees from violence, strangers in a strange land, until Herod has died. But in order to understand this other Christmas story, I'm going to defy biblical scholars. And I'm going to suggest that a mashup can actually be quite helpful. In this case, the story of Simeon, the old man in the Gospel of Luke, who was promised he would not die before seeing the Messiah, it's a helpful lens to understand today's scripture. 
When Jesus is presented in the temple, Simeon recognizes him as the Messiah and proclaims in the words that we say each night at evening prayer, Lord, you now have set your servant free to go in peace as you have promised. For these eyes of mine have seen the Savior whom you have prepared for all the world to see, a light to enlighten the nations, the glory of the people Israel. But then, after announcing that Jesus is the Savior, Simeon also warns Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This child is destined to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Today, in this story of wise men and stars, Herod and fear, this other Christmas story, we see that Simeon's words are true. The coming of Jesus, even just the announcement of his arrival, reveals the inner thoughts of many. For though the word epiphany means a sudden manifestation of the essential nature of something, a sudden realization, and this is the season when we read stories that reveal the true nature of the word made flesh, this revelation also reveals something, something about us. In Matthew's story, we see outsiders Gentile seekers, we call them at times magi or kings, but they were probably scientists of some sort, perhaps priests of a Persian religion, those who studied stars and nature to search for the truth. We see these outsiders, they are revealed to be sincere seekers, earnest, honest, coming to Herod, the one who has been called king of the Jews, and asking him naively, where the new king is. The sign of Jesus reveals them to be honest and humble, willing to kneel before the infant king of a land and a religion not their own. They're revealed to be honest and faithful as they go home by another road rather than betraying Jesus into Herod's duplicitous, violent plans. And Jesus is a sign who reveals the inner thoughts of Herod. Called king of the Jews by Rome, but certainly not viewed as legitimate by Israel. We see that Herod, like any insecure leader, fears the news that there might be a challenger to his position. So much so that he gathers religious leaders to tell him where the Messiah might be born. Never revealing to them that he has received good news that he has been born. And then he secretly asks the wise men to find that Messiah and report back. Herod is revealed as an angry, violent man. He never bothers to go himself to gaze on the infant face of his rival. Instead, he orders destruction and murder, preferring that to worshiping the true king.
in his long poem, for the time being a Christmas oratorio, the great poet W.H. Auden examines the entire swath of this season, from Advent all the way through the escape to Egypt, imagining the thoughts and actions of all the players, Mary and Joseph, shepherds and wise men, Herod and Simeon, angels, and then the modern person, you and me, and how we celebrate Christmas, how Christ is the sign who reveals our thoughts, too. In this poem, Herod is a government bureaucrat who puts all of his faith in human systems, certain that we humans can improve ourselves, our systems, our government, if we can only be rational and sensible enough. But his insistence on modern mechanisms and on our own intellects leads him to murderous thoughts when an infant, the irrational word made flesh, interrupts his plans and power. In this poem, each of the wise men explains why he is following the star that beckons them towards the Messiah. The first, who spent his whole life seeking to wring the secrets out of nature, finally admits to discover how to be truthful now is the reason I follow the star. The second wise man, a student of history, always looking to the future and to the past, finally realizes that to discover how to be living now is the reason I follow this star. The third wise man, an intellectual versed in all the theories about why we do what we do and who uses science to dissect our emotions, confesses to discover how to be loving now is the reason I follow this star how to be truthful, how to be living, how to be loving. Finally, all three speak together as they complain of the difficulty of their journey and then in their inner thoughts are all revealed together. At least we know for certain that we are three old sinners, that this journey is much too long, that we want our dinners and miss our wives, our books, our dogs, but have only the vaguest idea why we are what we are. To discover how to be human now is the reason we follow this star. On this feast of Epiphany, the day we hear of stars and wise men, of the good news of the birth of the king of the Jews, a Messiah, a sign that frightens Herod and Jerusalem but brings joy to the wise men, what inner thoughts of our own are revealed by the sign? How does the sign, this baby, our Lord, reveal the inner workings and thoughts of our culture, of our leaders, our government, our church? In this between time, between the first advent and second, the first coming 2,000 years ago and the coming again, we know not when, how do we look for Christ? What will be revealed in us during that search?
on this feast of Epiphany. The nature of Jesus as Messiah is attested to by Jew and Gentile scientists and religious leaders by the cosmos itself in the star. Yet this good news of great joy is received in a variety of ways with fear and violence by some, curiosity and hope and joy by others. At the very end of his poem, Auden writes about those of us now, we, who are packing up all our Christmas things, wondering how we are to live for the time being. Mainly we get back to business as usual, but for those of us who looked again this year for our savior in the face of an infant, we remember from time to time, as Auden writes, the stable where for once in our lives, everything became a you and nothing was an it. Everything became a you and nothing was an it. And then we remember that our salvation is not in our reason or our science. Our salvation is not in our government or our leaders. Rather, it is in our Lord who came down, entering into our human lives so that each and every one of us matters. Everyone is a you. No one is an it. And by God's grace, we learn the truth, how to live, how to love, how to be human. And then not only will our hearts be revealed, they will be changed. They will be changed to love by the one who came to love us and in whose face we see the glory of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.